copy of God's word this morning to the book of Proverbs. So turn to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. That's going to be our our main central passage this morning as we look at the topic of God's wisdom for our words. So we're going to we're going to do an a spiritual anatomy lesson on the tongue this morning. So Proverbs 18 21. And as you can see printed in your bullet on page 7, since this is a section of Proverbs where we're kind of taking a specific theme that it focuses on and drawing a bunch of the verses together that are, are kind of scattered throughout it, I thought it would be helpful to kind of list in your bulletin for your quick reference guide and a future deep meditation all the verses that we're going to cover from Proverbs there. So instead of scrambling around, you can kind of have a, a, a cheat sheet guide there for you uh, in your bulletin. So let me read our main proverb this morning, and then we'll pray. So Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would guide and guard my words so that they are helpful words, so that they're clear words, so that they're faithful words. And in so doing, that you would use the words that I speak to minister to those here so that we can be wise with our words, so that our speech would be, as you call it, to be seasoned with salt and intermingled with grace, delivering kindness to those who hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple questions that Proverbs wants us to think about. How much thought do you give to the things you say? Before you say them. How good is the filter on your speech? Are you more of a ready, fire, aim kind of speaker or more ready, aim, fire? Can you identify with one of my favorite literary characters, Anne Shirley of Anna Green Gables, who said, I know I talk too much, but I really am trying to overcome it. And although I say far too much, yet if you only knew how many things I want to say and don't, you'd give me some credit for it. What is your speaking to listening ratio? And what is the general effect of your speech on others? After speaking with you, are people built up and blessed? Or after hearing you speak, do people feel like sharing this movie quote with you? At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now less intelligent for having listened to you. May God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) These are the kind of questions that Proverbs is eager for us to think carefully about, especially before we speak. Of all the topics covered in Proverbs, no topic receives more attention than our tongue. So there's there's 915 verses in Proverbs in total, most of them being the traditional proverb you think of in chapters 10 to 31. And of those 915 verses, 114, by my count, are either explicitly or implicitly addressing our speech, our words, our tongue. Now, that's a lot of speech about our speech. And why is that? Well, I would argue this. By virtue of volume, God is trying to say to us loudly and clearly that if we would be wise with our words, we need to hear what he has to say about the things we say. Let me state that again. By virtue of volume in Proverbs, God is saying to us loudly and clearly, if we would be wise with our words, 
We first need to hear what he has to say about the things we say. And I think there are a couple of reasons why Proverbs shines such a bright spotlight on our speech. And one of them is very practical. We do a lot of talking. Even if you wouldn't describe yourself as talkative or an extrovert, there are very few things you do as much every day as speak, as use words. One group of researchers reported that the average American speaks. Now, this isn't amount of words, but just times you begin to speak. They could be short or long. The average American speaks 700 times per day. Now, you like me when I first heard, I think that that's way too much. Even if you cut that down in fourths by a, four, or a quarter, that's still 175 times per day that you will be out to release words out into the public. There are very few things you do 175 times a day. I think I was looking at my phone the other day. You know how it tracks how many times you pick it up. Now, I don't even do that as much, and I do that quite a bit. Or you know, you count your steps. Probably take more steps than you do. It'd be nice if, if there was a word counter that we could have. So kids, your homework when you go home is to count how many words your parents say and report back to me. So God has a lot to say about our speech because every day there are ample opportunities to speak wisely or foolishly. Encouragingly or critically, truthfully or deceptively. Another reason Proverbs focuses on speech is because the Bible wants us to get real about our struggle with our words. The Bible is not necessarily overly optimistic or pessimistic. It is very realistic. And it's realistic that we all struggle with our words. Turn with me quickly to the book of James. James chapter 3. I want you to see it. So the kind of New Testament sister book of Proverbs is the book of James. It's the most closely related and linked to it in its kind of content and material and the way it delivers its message. And James 3 is essentially James taking all that Proverbs and the wisdom of God has spoken about words and kind of consolidating it down for us. And what he has to say is helpful, but it's also very humbling. I'm going to start in James 3, verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So he wants us particularly focused on our speech. We stumble in many ways, but speech is one of the areas where the evidence is uh, undeniable. So he goes on to give some examples of why this is kind of a marvel. He says, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though, though they are very large, are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What he's saying there is it's amazing that in our you know, development ability, we can take this marvelous animal like a horse. It's strong, beautiful. You know, it's kind of it's hard to tame. And yet we, we can find ways that we can put a bridle or bit in its mouth and we can actually tame it and direct it where we will. Or you look at a massive ship that is, it's huge compared to the people who direct it, and yet the rudder in it is so much smaller compared to the size of the ship, and yet it can guide it where it goes. And we have this little thing in our mouth called a tongue, and we've learned to tame horses and direct ships, but we cannot tame and control and bridle our tongue. In fact, he goes on there in verse second half of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. All it takes is a spark to set a forest on fire, and all it takes is a slip of the tongue to set a relationship on fire to set a church on fire, to, to start a political firestorm. So James wants us to be real about our struggle with our words so that we would beg for God's wisdom 
regarding it. So we talk a lot. We struggle with our words. And another reason why Proverbs focuses on our speech is because our words are of great significance and consequence. Our capacity to speak and communicate is something we shouldn't overlook. We should actually marvel that the fact that we speak, not just what we speak, but the fact that we speak is a testament to the fact that we are creatures made in the image of the God who speaks. The God who speaks has uniquely equipped us with the ability to communicate in a way that is unlike any other creature that he has made in this world. And so he speaks words of absolute power. Let there be. Lazarus, come forth. And yet he has created us with the capacity to speak words that are not of absolute power, but of great significance and consequence. What that means for you and me is that every human being is a steward of the gift of speech. We think of stewardship with our money, but consider that you are just as much a steward of the gift of speech that God has given you and the words that you use. So we are stewards of the gift of speech. And every time we speak, it is an opportunity either to magnify God or minimize him in the ears of others. Think about it. Words are the primary vehicles of information, right? So we can either magnify God by spreading truth and wisdom or minimize him by spreading deception and foolishness. Words are the building blocks of relationships. So we can either magnify God by speaking words of encouragement and kindness to build and strengthen relational bonds. Or we can minimize God by speaking words of strife and slander that sever relational bonds. And if that's not enough to convince you of the significance and consequence of words, consider that as stewards of the gift of speech, you will have to give an account for how you steward this gift given to you. Listen to these weighty words from Jesus in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every idle word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So talk is anything but cheap. In fact, since it's a primary way we demonstrate that we're made in the image of God, since it's the primary vehicle of information, the building blocks of relationships, and since we are accountable to God for our words, we need to ask the question, how can we grow in godly wisdom in how we use our words? Well, that's what we're going to answer the rest of our time together. The first answer to that question is this. To become wise with our words, we need to have a solid conviction of the power of our words. Before we even speak, we need to have settled in our mind the conviction that words are powerful and potent, and they need to be handled with care. You know, we have a, a, a saying like, talk is cheap, because I think our, our culture has taught us to, to view words as just toys that you can toss around, that they're inconsequential. And yet the scripture is saying, no, 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 they're more like fine china that need to be handled with care. On every word should be written fragile, handle with care. And so you've heard other sayings, along with talk is cheap, actions speak louder than words, watch what a person does more than what he says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But Proverbs 18.21 would say, those statements are insufficient at best and inaccurate at worst. Look at Proverbs 18.21. Death And life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So talk is very weighty. Our words carry significant power with them. And so what I want to look at is he gives us these two categories here. Death is in the power of the tongue, and life is in the power of the tongue. The tongue can be a lethal weapon or it can be a life-giving blessing to others. 
So I want to just give you some categories underneath those two uh, examples. So the tongue can be a lethal weapon when our words are used to speak to deadly effect. One example of that is Proverbs 25:18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. In other words, when we spread deception, false information, it is if we're taking an axe or a sword or an arrow and using it against another person on them. The tongue has the power to kill someone's credibility and destroy someone's reputation and diminish others' respect of them in their eyes. One of the deadliest categories of speech that Proverbs points out is the category of gossip, or your translation might say a whisperer. One who says something they know they shouldn't be saying, so they say it quietly so no one else will hear them say except the one they say it to. Proverbs 16:28, a dishonest man spreads stripe and a gossip or whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 18:8, the words of a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You heard someone jokingly say, I don't have a problem with gossip. It's the other people I tell that have a problem with gossip. <laughs> and the truth in that is, as Proverbs 18.8 says, that there, there's something tasty about gossip. You, you're on the inside. You're, you're in the know. You have information that you can now utilize against others. You're not on the outside. Well, one author noted the deadly effect of gossip. He said this, gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. It erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether the appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-worn reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. And worst of all, it makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist. It's interesting when I've seen churches that have been torn apart and you kind of, as it were, go to the scene and assess the damage, what has happened, you know, like a plane crash scene. And a lot of times it comes down to sinful uses of speech that were just run rampant. Sparks being flying everywhere and causing a forest fire in the church. Another author pointed out that when the tongue speaks gossip, it commits a triple homicide, as it were, because it has a deadly effect on the one who spreads the gossip because they're bearing false witness. It has a deadly effect on the one who hears it because they're now a party to gossip. And it has a deadly effect on the one to whom it is spoken about as their reputation is ruined. So Proverbs 17.4 warns us against being accomplices to the deadly effects of gossip. It says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. Charles Spurgeon said in this verse, remember that as the receiver is as bad as the thief, so the hearer of gossip is a sharer in the guilt of it. If there were no listening ears, there would be no tail-bearing tongues. While you are a buyer of ill goods, the demand will always create the supply. Very convicting reminder of the power of our words in their deadly effect. But to be more encouraging, it also says that our words have the power of life in them. Our words can be used to life-giving effect. Consider some of these examples. If you've ever given or received wise counsel, that gave you insight and guidance, that, that made things clear as you were kind of assessing a situation that felt foggy to you. Then you understand the significance of Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 
If you've ever been kind of in the throes of anger or filled with frustration or consumed with worry and anxiety, and you've received a well-spoken word that kind of diffused the frustration, diffused the anger, filled you with comfort, then you understand Proverbs 15, 1 and 4. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, has the power to dispel and diffuse anger, and a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Gentle tongue, the picture is of coming to a tree that has fresh Delicious fruit that you can eat and it satisfies your heart and soul. Or if you've ever been discouraged or weighed down with doubt or burdened with grief and you've received a well-worded, well-timed word of encouragement or a note and it's lifted your downcast spirit, then you understand Proverbs 12:25. Sorrow in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And Proverbs 16:24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And one often overlooked category of life-giving words. We understand the kind words, gracious words, encouraging words, those we understand as life-giving words. But one overlooked category is the life-giving word of rebuke or correction. Listen to Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find far more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. The picture I get in my mind of these verses is the prophet Nathan coming to King David. That he is given an insight into David's character, his actions, his ways, his concealment. And he is told, you need to give him a word of rebuke. Now, we're not always clever enough to come up with a parable that we can kind of draw you in and then uh, I got you at the end. But when a true friend confronts you and lovingly points out an issue that needs addressing in your character, I think we could all admit, in the moment of reception, it does not feel like a life-giving word. It feels more like a surgeon's scalpel. But like Nathan's word to David, he healed far more than he wounded him in the end. And so there's even the life-giving words of a kind, gracious rebuke. So if we'd be wise with our words, we need to grasp the power of the tongue. We need to have a settled conviction that our words are significant and we need to handle them with care because they have the capacity to deliver words of death. So we need to set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. And our words have the capacity to deliver life. So we need to pray, Lord, season my speech with grace. The second lesson we learned from Proverbs is that to become wise with our words, we need an extra fine filter for our words. So not just conviction about their power, but we need a very refined filter on what comes out of our mouth. We have a, a stand-up above-ground pool in our backyard, and I was not attending to it, so I was constantly building algae and dirt and all these things, and so I bought one of those robot vacuums, thinking this, this will solve it. And it did a good job getting everywhere, but it kept things kept staying in the pool that should have been in the vacuum. What I realized is when you buy it, they give you a filter that's not very fine so that you'd pay more money to buy an extra fine filter. So I buy the extra fine filter, and lo and behold, the algae, the sand, the dirt, the things that kept getting through stopped getting through. And so we need an extra fine filter on our mouth. And perhaps one of the most relevant Proverbs for our modern day is Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is wise. We need to hear that more than ever in our own day. And here's, here's why I think that. And there's 
There's two influences I was thinking of in our culture that really work against the wisdom of restraining our lips and filtering our speech. The first, and I realize I might step on some toes here, but bear with me. The first is the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. Now, let the record show, I'm a huge fan of the First Amendment, okay? I think it's far better than the opposite, right? The First Amendment is the worst form of the freedom of speech except for all the other ones that are out there. It's good and healthy. Government-centered speech is incredibly harmful and dangerous. But here's something we need to understand. Wisdom requires us to discern the difference between can and should. Can and should. Just because you can say something, just because you have the right to say something, doesn't mean you should say something. Wisdom requires us not to look at the can, but to assess the should more often than not. We have a right to free speech. But we also have the right to remain silent. And sometimes we should exercise that right more often than the first one. Here's an example. So every time I drive to uh, to Cuesta, I'm heading north, I usually go through Loxahatchee River Road. And maybe you've been down this road. And I pass by a house that proudly exercises its First Amendment right to state their disdain for the current presidential administration. And their signs are very uh, elaborate, very eye-catchy. At one point, they had a sign that I can't repeat out loud, but let me just say it aligned with the acronym FJB. And last time I drove by, there was a new, there's always a new sign. That's why I like taking this road, just to see what, what's the latest there. It was the movie poster, Dumb and Dumber, except it wasn't Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. It was the president and the vice president on that sign. Now, understand, you can do that. They are well within their rights to do that. It's their private property. They can display their political opinions any way they want. But for the Christian, our ultimate standard of speech is not the First Amendment, but it's the wisdom and counsel of God's word. And the wisdom and counsel of God's word calls us to use our speech to pray for governing authorities over us, to show honor to those in political positions of authority over us, whether we agree with them or not. We can disagree agreeably, and, and we should do those things, where it's right and proper. But our political opinions and partisan Stances are far less significant than the Christian witness of our words. They're far less significant than the Christian witness of our words. Another cultural influence that works against the wisdom exercise our right to remain silent is that it has never been more easy and more encouraged to say whatever you want, whenever you want to, whoever needs to hear it. I'm talking about the basis and business model of every social media platform. And the basis and business model of it is essentially you have something to say and everyone needs to hear it. So come sign up, post, tweet, share, show. Everyone needs to hear it. And now think of the comment sections that has become so popular. Most news and media outlets just report the news and you were left on your own to kind of think about it and assess it and evaluate it. Now under every news article, there is a comment section where you can post your opinions. And the comment section, they're great for entertainment. Not so great for wisdom. And we also live in in an opinion-obsessed culture. Think of how many uh, 24-7 news networks or sports networks are filled with shows where it's just people talking and sharing their opinion. Those are some of those popular shows. I remember when I was a kid, you know, way back in the day, I would get up before school, I would eat my Lucky Charms, and I would watch SportsCenter. And they were just saying what happened. They were just actually reporting the score and the stats and the highlights. And now it's just people saying, I like him. I hate him. He's ugly. He's beautiful. You know, all these things. And that encourages us to be, hey, if you have an opinion, share. Everyone needs to hear it. 
In a sense, culture is saying you can say whatever you want and you should. Whereas Proverbs wants us to carefully consider this question. Even though you can, should you? Even though you want to say this, should you? Proverbs saying, don't just say what you think. First, think about what God thinks about what you're going to say. When it comes to the use of our tongue, the main distinction that Proverbs makes between the foolish and the wise when it comes to speech is the filter or failure to filter their words. Consider these contrasting Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And then one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 28, using irony to make this point says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered intelligent. Remember, the proverb that was nailed into my head as a kid, I think it's either Abraham Lincoln or Benjamin Franklin, based on this proverb was, better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> so Proverbs is even saying, even if you aren't wise, just try and appear to be wise. Just don't say anything, as it were. Or Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Just kind of a bubbling cauldron of nonsense. But a wise man quietly holds it back. There's restraint. There's a filter. So these contrasting Proverbs between the wise and the fool and their filter is intended to motivate us to say, we need to refine the wisdom filter on our speech. Because unlike, if, if you were to play golf with me, I would give you as many mulligans as you wanted, if, as long as you gave me mine. But when it comes to speech, you do not get mulligans or do-overs. When you say it, it's out there. When you say it in that relationship, it is in their ear and it's there to stay. When you hit publish, it is out there for good. When you hit send, it's there. Now I realize if you have some email inboxes, you have four seconds to retract what you're going to say before it goes out there. You can edit on text messages, but you can even look back on the edits and see what they said. So there is a permanence to our speech, which should cause us to, to think carefully about what we're going to say. Well, thirdly, if we would be wise with our words, Proverbs would say, we need to do far more listening than we do talking. The mark of the wise person, ironically, is not what they say. It's how well they listen, how studious and careful they are to glean and hear and absorb and glean wisdom. Proverbs strongly supports the well-known statement, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you can do far more listening than you do talking. Think of Proverbs 1 to 9. The, one of the main words used in Proverbs 1 to 9 as a father was sitting down very intentionally with his son was hear, listen, consider, ponder. Hear, listen, because all words that ask for you to open your ears and close your mouth. Proverbs 22, 17, and 18 kind of summarizes that counsel in Proverbs 1 to 9 saying this. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Do you catch the connection between ear and hear and wisdom on your lips? The ear is the fresh spring of God's wisdom for your mouth. If the ear is clogged or closed, there's going to be no fresh water of wisdom coming out of your mouth. So what Proverbs is saying is that there's an intricate link between listening to words of wisdom, being around the wise and hearing them, and speaking words of wisdom. So in other words, if you want wisdom to come out of your lips, you need to ensure that wisdom is getting in your ears. 
And the New Testament in Colossians 3.16 makes a similar point. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. And the question, what's the link between teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? It's this. The word of Christ is the treasure house of God's wisdom. It is the marketplace of God's wisdom. And you must be constantly visiting that storehouse and marketplace if you're going to bring out wise things to share and say to others. If you don't go to the marketplace of wisdom in the word of Christ and let it dwell in you richly, there's going to be a famine in wisdom. So we need to open our ears so that our, when we open our mouth, we'll be wise. Finally, if we would be wise with our words, we need to become fluent in the gospel. If we would be wise with our words, we need to become fluent in the gospel. And here's why I end with this point. Everything I've said up to now, as potentially insightful and as helpful as it may be, also has the potential to be very discouraging. You know, as, as a person who very much identifies with Anne Shirley's statement, if you only knew the things I wanted to say and didn't, you'd be so proud of me. But I'm also getting my, myself in trouble all the time. This study was, in a sense, helpful and very discouraging. Because when the spotlight of God's word shines on an area of our lives, two things become very clear. First, his word illuminates life. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word makes clear the way we're to walk. It makes clear where the narrow path is that we need to walk on and where the ditches are on either side of it. And that's very helpful. That's a blessing. But the same light that illumines also exposes. Because that light that shines ahead also shines on you. And you kind of see the darkness of your speech in the light of God's speech. And maybe you feel like the prophet Isaiah did. Isaiah, when he comes into the exposing presence of God's holiness, his reflex reaction is to say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And, and there's a sense of irony there. He's the prophet who's been given the office of speaking God's word to the people. And yet the first thing he thinks about as he thinks about God's holiness exposing him is the sinfulness of his lips, his unclean lips. Perhaps in hearing God's wisdom, you feel like repeating Isaiah's words. And no one has to convince you that there is death in the power of the tongue because you know it firsthand from words that have come out of your own mouth. There are probably right now, in your mind, words you remember speaking, maybe even as soon as this morning, that you wish you could take back. Conversations you wish you could start over. Jokes you told that you wish you could untell. Misinformation that you spread about others that you wish you could undo. Well, the good news is that there is a word that cleanses us from all the careless, unclean, sinful words that we've ever spoken. Jesus is called the word made flesh for a reason. Because he came to walk and talk among us and perfectly embody the wisdom of God regarding our words in his very life and his speech. I mean, one of the main effects that Jesus had on people is when he spoke, people marveled at the authority with which he spoke. They, they marveled that when he spoke, they could not bring any charge against him that would stick because his words were flawless and pure. He's the only one who truly and perfectly tamed his tongue such that Peter, who knows what it's like not to be able to tame your tongue, looks at Jesus and said, he committed no sin, neither was deceit in his mouth. 
When he reviled, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Instead, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I, I, I picture Peter just mulling over the things he said that he wished he didn't say and feeling bad and then looking at Jesus and saying, what a savior. That he would choose me who is sticking his foot in his mouth all the time and yet he would be the one who never said a careless, idle, sinful word and he would bear my sins in his body on the tree. When the crowds spoke words of death to Jesus, he responded with words of life, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And because of our sinless speaking Savior, through faith and trust in him, all the words we've spoken, unclean, sinful, wrong words, all the words we've ever spoken, which could condemn us, are silenced by the word of forgiveness and no condemnation that he speaks over us. Like with Isaiah, so it is for all who trust in him. He confessed, woe is me for my man of unclean lips. And the very next thing that God does is he said, behold, this coal, this representation of atonement and forgiveness and cleansing has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Anticipating the day that someone would come who would have clean lips, who would purify our unclean lips. But the grace of Christ is not just pardon for our lips. It's also power for our tongues. Jesus alone has the power to change the subject. And I mean that ironically. I mean you. He can change you and the things you say. As we hear and rehearse his words, becoming more and more fluent in the gospel, what happens is it slowly transforms our speech and it slowly begins to help us tame our tongues so that when we speak, we speak words of grace and what comes out of us are words of wisdom. And so the call to you is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that in becoming fluent in the gospel, your words are seasoned with grace and filled with wisdom. Let's pray.